0: Well, hey friends, great to be with you today. Uh, Before we get to our message, I'd like to catch you up quickly on just a couple of things. First of all, we had a great Christmas season and Christmas Eve in particular. We had nearly 3,000 people join us online for Christmas Eve, which was 7% increase over last year when almost everyone was online. And we had about 3,500 people join us in person, which was almost twice as many as last year. We had a lot of newcomers on all of our campuses, and and I think you'll all agree that both the online and in-person experiences were beautiful and meaningful. So we're grateful for all the volunteers who made it happen and for every one of you who showed up and and brought someone with you. And then on the financial front, uh, we had shared that we were behind on our budget by hundreds of thousands of dollars. That December was going to be a really important month for trying to close that gap. And we all know what a challenging year it's been financially for many people. So we weren't sure what to expect compared to previous Decembers. Uh, we felt like if we could get within $100,000 or so, it would, it would feel like a victory. Well, I am humbled and happy to report that we had a very strong month. We were not, able, not only able to close the gap entirely, But at this point, we are actually ahead of our budget for the year. It's truly remarkable and even miraculous. So we still have a few more months to go in our financial year, so keep those cards and letters coming. But this generosity gives us great confidence and freedom as we look to the future and to the new and good things that God is doing at Grace. So thanks to all of you who gave. It wasn't one or two gifts that saved the day. Every gift mattered. And thanks to God, who once again has done more than we could have asked or imagined. Well, maybe you've heard about the sculpture that was unveiled on Boston Common this weekend as a memorial to Martin Luther King Jr. and his wife, Coretta Scott King. The 22 foot tall bronze work of art is called The Embrace. And it captures a moment of celebration and intimacy between the two civil rights leaders when, when King won the Nobel Peace Prize in 1964. The Kings actually had a strong connection to the city of Boston. They met here while he was working on his PhD at BU. They had their first date on Boston Common, and King held a freedom rally at the Parkman Bandstand in 1965. Now, our thoughts naturally turn to Dr. King this weekend. And when they do, we think of the many qualities that made him such a dynamic leader. Courage, vision, faith, wisdom, eloquence. Each of these attributes contributed to the remarkable impact he had on our nation. But there's another attribute, not quite as obvious or grand, that enabled him to effect change in the hearts and minds of the American people. Empathy. Now, empathy doesn't sound like a powerful word. It's not a word that people tend to put on their resume or their profile. Uh, We may not even be exactly sure what it means all the time. And yet, it's one of the most appealing and transformative qualities a person can possess. Uh, An activist named Joan Cole Duffel makes this observation. Martin Luther King Jr. demonstrated a rare form of empathy at almost every turn of the road. He heard and saw people, all people, and understood how constituents on both sides of an issue, even the most divisive issue, actually felt. This allowed him to practice peaceful problem-solving in the name of racial justice. So what exactly is empathy? Why is it such a powerful force in human relationships? And how can it enrich our relationships with one another as human beings, as citizens, and as members of the body of Christ? Those are the questions we're going to go after today in week two of our series, The Risks of a With Others Life. Uh, This winter, we're exploring the role that relationships play in every person's spiritual journey. Last week, we talked about the journey from loneliness to love as we make our way out of the pandemic years with all their isolation and polarization, and we're finding it harder than ever to enjoy and deepen relationships. We're out of practice, we're hurt, we're skittish, we're wondering if if it's worth the risk and the effort. But we learned last week that if we're not loving, we're not really living we're settling for something far less than God intended for our lives and our faith. So this winter, we're learning how to love by looking at some of the one another commands that we find in Scripture. And while there's no specific verse that says empathize with one another, there are verses that point us in that direction. So let's go to a book in the Bible called Romans and look at a few verses from chapter 12. Uh, We'll spend a few minutes with the passage, trying to understand what empathy is and why it matters. And then we're going to listen in on a a moving conversation that a few of our leaders had this past week. And then I'll wrap things up with some practical suggestions. So Romans 12, beginning at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Now, this book we call Romans was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to Christians living in the city of Rome. Now, Rome was the capital of the empire and and the most cosmopolitan city in the world at the time. All roads really did lead to Rome in the first century. So the church at Rome was a diverse church. There were Jews and Gentiles, enslaved people and free citizens, upper and lower classes, men and women which meant these Christians had lots of differences to contend with. And these differences were taking a toll on the life of that church. Relationships were strained. There were factions and tensions, insiders and outsiders. It was such a problem that Paul devotes the second half of his letter to the subject of relationships. And he begins where Jesus did, with love. Love must be sincere, he says. It has to be real. It has to be seen and felt. And then he offers a handful of practical ways to express that love. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Share with those who are in need. Practice hospitality. And then he gets to the verses we want to focus on today. Rejoice with those who Rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Now, based on what we know about Rome and about what Paul has to say here, it becomes clear that people in the same church were having very different experiences. Some were rejoicing. Life was working for them. Maybe they were enjoying financial prosperity or happy relationships or social status. Others were mourning. Life wasn't working for them. They were facing financial hardship, maybe, or or discrimination. Whatever it was, they were hurting. Don't let these differences separate you, Paul says. Don't retreat into your own camps, taking shelter with people who are like you. Enter into each other's lives, he says. Share your experiences with each other. If people are happy, be happy with them. If people are hurting, hurt with them. Now, Paul doesn't use the word, but he's calling for empathy. I found a variety of definitions. Uh, I'm going to offer this mashup of my own. Empathy is the capacity to recognize, understand, and share the thoughts and feelings of another person. So empathy is the opposite of apathy, which is the inability or unwillingness to enter into another person's experience. And empathy is similar to sympathy, but it's stronger, closer, more more active. Apathy hears that a friend is in the hospital and says, boy, that's terrible. I hate hospitals. Let me know when you get out and we'll do lunch. Thanks a lot. Sympathy says, I'm so sorry to hear that you're not feeling well. And then sends flowers or a card and and promises to pray. Empathy shows up at the hospital with coffee and donuts, sits by the bed and asks, what's the hardest thing about being here? And then listens for the answer. If the person's not up for talking, empathy just sits beside the bed and watches Wheel of Fortune or whatever happens to be on the TV. Empathy is the capacity to recognize, understand, and share the thoughts and feelings of another person. All three of those words are important. Recognition, understanding, and sharing. Empathy begins by by recognizing that everyone is not having the same experience I am. What's working for me may not be working for another person. A woman doesn't experience the workplace the same way a man does. An immigrant doesn't experience America the same way a naturally born citizen does. A single person doesn't experience church the same way a married person does. We may work in the same office or live in the same country or worship in the same church, but we don't experience those settings the same way. So empathy begins with recognition of that. But it doesn't stop there. It then seeks to understand the other person's experience. I wonder what it's like to be a woman in this office or company. What challenges does an immigrant face when it comes to making a home in America? Who does a single person sit with when they come to church? empathy investigates it observes it asks questions and then listens carefully enough to understand sympathy recognizes and 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 listens but then empathy goes a step further and finds a way to share the thoughts and feelings of that other person Uh, to, to sit with them in their sadness or disappointment or frustration To say with them, that's not fair. Or, I'm sorry that happened to you. Empathy asks, how are you feeling about all of this? Empathy hangs around for a while, then comes back for more. Even if the more is simply sitting together in the moment. Empathy is physical, emotional, and spiritual withness. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Empathy doesn't say, I know just how you feel, because you don't. Empathy doesn't say, boy, that stinks, but let me tell you what happened to me. Empathy doesn't rush to solutions before understanding the problem. It doesn't try to fix or rescue or blame or explain. It just comes alongside for a while. Uh, Brene Brown describes it as holding space, withholding judgment, emotionally connecting, and communicating that incredibly healing message, you are not alone. Let's not miss the fact that Jesus spent 30 years hanging around with us before he ever spoke a word or did a thing to address our needs. It all begins with empathy. So why are we bringing all this up today? Why is empathy so important to one anothering right now? Well, two reasons at least. For one thing, experts tell us that there's a crisis of empathy in our culture today. People seem to have lost the desire or the ability to understand and share other people's thoughts and feelings. There are all kinds of reasons for it. Uh, Our our personalized news feeds have us reading and hearing only one point of view. Social media demands that we focus on telling our own story rather than understanding other people's stories. COVID has given us an excuse for hunkering down with people who agree with us. (laughs) The result is that instead of listening to each other, we're defending ourselves. Instead of feeling others' pain, we're telling them why they shouldn't feel that way. Instead of coming together in the pain of the past few years, we've retreated to our own camps to lick our wounds and blame the other side, even in the church. If we're ever going to find our way back together, it's going to begin with empathy. Uh, For another thing, empathy is an important step on the journey to racial healing and justice. Uh, When incidents of racial violence and injustice have broken out the past few years, one of the things people of color have asked is that other people would stand with them in their pain, acknowledge the wrongness, lament the brokenness, feel the fear and frustration and, and even their anger. Now, it's going to take more than empathy to bring racial healing and justice, but but it begins there, And, and it should begin in the church. When Paul says, live in harmony with one another, he's not only acknowledging the fact that there are differences among us, he's celebrating the fact that there are differences among us. He doesn't say live in unison with each other, as if we always have to agree with each other, as if we have to look and think and sound the same, that would not only be boring, it would fail to reflect the many-splendored glory of God. Harmony is about different notes coming together to make a richer, more beautiful sound. And if any community should be making beautiful music today, it ought to be the church, offering the world a preview of of what it will be like someday. When a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language will come together and sing, Salvation Belongs to Our God. Friends, that's the song the world needs to hear right now. And it will only happen when we allow empathy to tune our voices and our hearts to sing in harmony with each other. So here's our takeaway for this week. When we take the time to understand another person's experience, we and they become more open to God's work in our lives. We and they become more open to God's work in our lives. Empathy not only draws us closer to one another, it draws us closer to God. It holds space for the Spirit to do the work of healing and transformation in our individual lives and then our community. Before I offer some ways that we can grow in empathy, I'd like us to hear from a few people in our congregation who've been on this journey together. A few years ago, we invited a handful of Grace Chapel folks to join Pastor Jeanette on a racial justice team with the goal of helping our congregation understand and address the cultural, racial challenges facing the church and society today. But we invited a few of them to come together this week and share a little bit about their life experiences and the role that empathy has played in their journeys and their work together. Well, let's listen in for a few minutes, and then I'll come back with some next steps.
1: We were a part of a racial justice team uh, about a year and a half ago. And we met for about a year. Uh, we didn't really know each other all that well, but and I started to feel like family, you know. So what, what was it like for you to be a part of that experience?
2: Just over the course of that year, being a part of this team, I think I, think I grew in just my recognition of how much I didn't know and how much there was to learn, but also just in a hope that There were so so many ways that the church could move forward and Grace Chapel could help both come alongside the work that churches were already doing, but that also lead in a lot of significant ways as well. Mm -hmm.
3: To be invited to do this at church was really um, rewarding for me. It was psychologically, it was such um, a great shift in my thinking because for a long time, I saw universities, I saw the world, engaging Mm -hmm. in um, Mm -hmm. anti-racist work, Mm -hmm. but I didn't see the church engaging in Mm anti-racist work. So to be invited to be on that committee Mm -hmm. was really meaningful for me.
1: Tell us a little bit about your cultural and faith background.
3: My background, um, my parents are from Haiti. I was born in the United States. So my parents experienced racism as a cultural shock and I experienced it more as like a cultural norm i say that not to like compare us because i you know we're all equally traumatized i think by uh, by racism but just to kind of say that i have the perspective of someone who comes into the country with a lot of hope Mm -hmm. and a lot of aspiration Mm -hmm. and i see what racism does to that hope and that aspiration Mm -hmm. and i've always looked to uh, faith to carry me through Mm -hmm. um, to give me the strength to recover from the damage and the harm, and you know, continue to be the kind of person that I know Christ would want me to be.
2: So, my parents are from India, and they had immigrated to Oman in the Middle East um, in their twenties, and where they met and got married. And so, I was born in Oman. We ended up immigrating to the United States uh, when I was twelve.
1: So, what's your experience been like at Grace? I mean. Um, Positive or negative in terms of, you know, kind of this journey, this cultural journey for you? What's that been like?
2: I had been part of an immigrant church when I came here. So that had been my experience where I kept yeah. come to faith okay, and yes. grown up. Um, and so I remember stepping into our high school ministry and stepping into a small group. And, and I think just coming to a recognition, that was the first time I'd ever been in a small group with people who didn't look like me, where I was talking wow. about things mm-hmm. of, of faith
3: right now everyone is learning and acquiring information and really attempting to raise their level of sensitivity around racism and what that means. And so I had an experience where after service, I was talking to two women and, um, one of them said to me, Oh, Jackie, you have to watch this documentary that's on Netflix. It's about lynching. And, And she said, um, it was so moving and I learned so much. I mean, you would enjoy that. You should watch it. Um, and it turns out that the other person that I was talking to had also seen it uh-huh. and also said, yes, I saw it. It, I learned so much. You know, you, you, sh- you would enjoy it. And it, I had to kind of stop myself and sort of process. And one, one person I texted after service and the other I took aside mm-hmm. to have the conversation with. And what I said to both of them is that what's information to you is trauma for me. Having and acquiring information is great, but understanding and developing a level of sensitivity so that when you share that information your yeah. mm-hmm. your effective mm-hmm. um, empathy plays a big part in that yeah. in helping you to kind of translate the information mm-hmm. you've acquired so that you can actually connect with somebody who's part of a different group yeah. that you've been working so hard Good. to try to yeah. connect with.
1: When you think of um, relationships either at church or other relationships, um, you know what what do you feel has been? Helpful in developing empathy uh, in in those relationships.
2: Just being willing to listen and be curious, mm-hmm. ask people, and not assume other people's experiences has been huge for me. Um, I think particularly I think of moments during kind of the racial reckoning of of, of twenty twenty, and I think just sitting, particularly with my black brothers and sisters, and hearing their experiences, and I distinctively remember just being moved to sobs. Like, I think just empathy is. It's that element of listening, yeah. taking on, and then letting yourself feel the weight of it and feel uncomfortable yeah. and painful to the point that it disrupts your workday. and Not really knowing how to fix it or what to do about it, but even just this sitting, yeah. I think has helped me.
3: I would say empathy is really hard. <laughs> it, it's really hard. It um, I, I think about the power dynamic of empathy in, in terms of, you know, when you... When you are a person in the majority, you're in a position where you can think about your resources and how you can be available, how you can, what you can contribute. And when you're the person who's oppressed, how do you sit down with a member of the group that's oppressing you and extend the empathy of being able to say, here, I'm putting my trauma and my vulnerability out for you? So that you can transform, so that you can be better, so that we can be in fellowship right. in a way that's healthy. Um, and so I think it, empathy is really, is, is really hard. And, um, from my perspective as an African American, when I engage in like dialogues around race, I know that to some extent I am making myself vulnerable to pain mm-hmm. and I am accepting mm-hmm. that I may be experiencing a trauma mm-hmm. uh, in the process. And what fuels this willingness mm-hmm. to allow my trauma is hope.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. I am
3: hoping yeah. yes. that by allowing myself to be vulnerable, you can transform mm-hmm. because you can identify with my humanity mm-hmm. and you can see my pain mm-hmm. and you can say, okay, how have I contributed to this? What can I do to change? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm taking a chance because I'm hoping, yeah. you know, yeah. so, that's so that's what I would say. Um, yeah. It's yeah. empathy is really difficult. <laughs> <Yes>. mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. For me being a part of this team and what my, really my empathy journey, if I could call it that, you know, began with, uh, really began with the murder of George Floyd and uh, I'll never forget being so impacted by that. And then uh, my 21-year-old son said, Dad, I'm going to the Black Lives Matter march in Boston. You want to go? And I'm like, yeah, okay. And that, that, that experience mm-hmm. just was my North Star, became my North Star for a change for me internally mm-hmm. because what happened was I just saw such pain anguish, Mm -hmm. anger, with my black brothers and sisters all around me. I mean, I went home going, "We, there's still a problem. There's a lot of pain, not just from the past, but the present.
3: And it's not that long ago that I learned um, that the Statue of Liberty was uh, erected uh, in commemoration of emancipation Mm -hmm. of slaves. Mm -hmm. And uh, in addition to that, the design of the statue Mm -hmm. was different. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be torch and chain, you know, mm-hmm. so torch in one hand and broken chains in the other.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And um, you know, the Americans were like, no, we don't want the chains in yeah. on display, mm-hmm. you know.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: So I think whatever we do here, whatever whatever gets established here, that we remember why it was established mm-hmm. and keep that history alive mm-hmm. because we do have a tendency to just erase things. Because mm-hmm. it's comfortable, it's uncomfortable to remember yeah. what we did wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great to celebrate when we're doing right. Yes. And the temptation is to just kind of erase, yeah. yes. you know, mm-hmm. why, how we got here.
2: I think there's been, been many ways that I've been pleasantly surprised that mm-hmm. Grace has been willing to step into this space and to press on ahead. Particularly Gen Z gives me a lot of hope, right? Mm-hmm. Like how much they, just desire to love people. I was talking to a student recently and, you know, and she was like, you know, for all the faults of our generation, I think one thing we do really well is we seek to love people despite difference. Yeah, yeah. But I also know that there's institutions of power and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, there's just so many organizational factors that at the end of the day can, yeah. can push this to the back burner. Um, yes. So I hold, I hold a lot of hope, but I also, yeah, I, yeah, I think I, I'm like, Lord, help us, you know, yeah. at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think I am concerned that this empathy that I've come into and others have been coming into uh, won't lead to real change. Mm-hmm. Martin Luther King said, "Okay, you know the 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 Samaritan that was beaten up and on the side of the road is just right." Jesus says, "Take care of that guy," mm-hmm. but at some point we got to fix the road to Jericho, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and that whole sense mm-hmm. that that there are systems that perpetuate injustice and against all kinds of vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's probably my, my concern and, and, and my hope is that we will be about mm-hmm. real change. And with folks like yourself helping with that, that makes me very, very hopeful.
0: What a beautiful conversation. Did you hear the healing and the transformation that has happened in their lives? When we take the time to understand another person's experience, we and they become more open to God's work in our lives. So how do we grow in empathy? Well, a few simple steps. First, get curious. Uh, You heard them talking about that in the conversation. Get curious about other people's life experiences. Ask questions. Tell me about your faith journey or your cultural background or your experience at Grace Chapel. Then listen without offering commentary or solutions. Read things you don't usually read. Diversify your newsfeed. Watch some documentaries. Uh, We have a great list of resources and some short videos posted on our anti-racism page. And we'll post a full-length video of this conversation that we just heard there. So first, get curious. Secondly, take risks. Step outside of your relational comfort zone. Show up at the hospital unannounced. Have coffee with someone from a different cultural or religious background. Visit a black church some Sunday, or a Korean church, or a mosque, or a synagogue. Attend a rally for some social or political issue that the Lord calls to your attention. Richard spoke about how transformative it was for him to attend that one rally. Uh, Tomorrow, we'll be hosting the Martin Luther King Day of Service for the town of Lexington. And the morning will be devoted to a conversation about race. So get curious, take a risk, and check it out. I saved this next one for last because I was afraid if I mentioned it first, you might check out on me. But it really is the starting point when it comes to empathy. Admit bias. Admit bias. That's hard for most of us to do. We like to think we're fair and reasonable and open-minded. I'm not prejudiced, but you are and so am i and so is every human being we're biased by our cultural background our family of origin our life experiences we tend to favor one person or group over another usually a person or a group that we identify with did you notice how paul ended this section do not be proud do not be conceited He's not talking about conceit in terms of looking in the mirror and saying, aren't I handsome? He's talking about conceit in terms of thinking that we have it all figured out, that we're on the right side or we're on God's side. Don't make yourself the standard, he's saying, as if your experience or perspective or culture is the normal one or the desirable one. If we're not willing to admit our bias, we'll never get around to being curious and taking risks, which is where the fun and the learning and the transformation takes place. Recently, I heard from someone who was involved here at Grace some years ago. Uh, They sent me a book of essays on the black experience. Uh, Inside the cover, they wrote me a note. You may never know some of the pain that I experienced at Grace Chapel. As a black person, I was subjected to racism by leaders or they just ignored it. It has taken me a while to write because my heart was broken. I hope that Grace and those in leadership will repent and choose a more inclusive path. And I pray that this book helps in Jesus' name. It's a hard note to read those in leadership at Grace Chapel certainly includes me. I knew they left with some frustrations, but I wasn't aware the hurt was that deep and I wasn't aware that I had contributed to it. And I'm sure they're not the only person of color who's had an experience like that here, in spite of our best intentions. I sense it was a hard note to write too, must have been painful to relive that experience. And there was a risk involved in reaching out and sharing it. I'm glad they took the risk. I'm glad I have a chance to reach out, to repent, to learn how to lead and love better. I'm also glad I can say that as leaders in a church, we have repented and continue to. that that we have chosen to be more inclusive, to be more aware, to to be more responsive. I think Grace Chapel's in a better place culturally culturally and racially than than we were those years ago. And by God's grace, with empathy that leads to change, we'll continue to learn and grow and become that many-splendored expression of the body of Christ. Because when we take the time to understand another person's experience, we and they become more open to God's work in our lives and in his church and in the world. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Have mercy on us, Lord, Heal us, instruct us, and form us into the people and community you would have us to be in order that we might show each other and the world the love that you have shown to us in Christ. In his name we pray, amen.